The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It is the declaration of the gospel coming from various texts of Scripture. And together in our call to worship this morning, we will declare that gospel to one another. Will you stand with me? Let us proclaim the gospel together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is love that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now let us take our Trinity hymn books and raise our voices in praise to God by turning to 218, 218, all hail the power of Jesus' name. 218 in the Trinity Hymn Book.
pray together. <clears throat> Lord, Heavenly Father, how we worship and praise you today for your goodness, your faithfulness, your truth. We thank you, Lord, that you are on the throne this very moment and you are ruling in righteousness. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts today that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray, Father, for those who cannot be with us today, but we pray, Lord, that you would join them and that you would bless their day and and that they would spend this day worshiping you. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us our, our sins and cleanse our hearts this morning. We pray, Father, that uh, you would be pleased, Lord, to draw someone here today, maybe several, that do not know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of salvation. Father, we ask that you would bless what happens here today. We think of a young man who is proclaiming his profession in Je- of, of uh, belief in Jesus Christ and he is uh, going to be baptized uh, this morning, Quentin, Quentin Perry. And we thank you for his example, and we pray, Father, by that it might speak to hearts here in this place. So, Lord, we ask that you would join us, that you would bless our worship time together. We pray that you would uh, bless the word as it goes forth. May it go forth in power. May your truth be sunk deep into our hearts today. We ask, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts even for the Lord's table that we will uh, be uh, doing this afternoon. And we pray, Father, that you would help us examine our hearts and that uh, we would uh, have forgiveness in our hearts as you forgave us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now take the hymns of grace, the hymns of grace, and turn to 184. Behold the wondrous mystery, 184 in the hymns of grace. If there's not a hymns of grace nearby, then they're spread out, so...
This morning we continue our consecutive reading through the New Testament. We find ourselves in Matthew 22. So if you would turn there, please. Matthew 22. In this chapter, uh, Matthew 22, we see the parable of the wedding feast. We also see Jesus answering the Herodians on paying taxes. He then addresses the Sadducees on their question of resurrection. He answers the scribes regarding the first and great commandment. And finally, after Jesus has been tested by the Herodians, the Sadducees, and the scribes, he turns the table on the Pharisees, and he tests them with the question, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they failed miserably. Hear the word of the Lord. Verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fattened livestock, are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and they went their way, one to his farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both good and evil. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guest, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Then the Pharisees went up and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth, and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. 
Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. On that day, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, Teacher, Moses says if a man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. He said to them, Then how does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, and nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. This morning as we seek our God again together in prayer, we want to especially pray for the Yulberg family who are laboring there in Bolivia. Let's seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, again we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to gather together to worship you, for you are a great God and worthy to be praised. We thank you, our God, that you do not leave us alone as to how you are to be worshipped, but your your, your word tells us that you're to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And therefore, as we gather together in this place, we pray that we are a people who worship you sincerely, from honest hearts, from good consciences, that we delight in you, our God, from our innermost being. But we pray, Father, that our worship is according to truth, that your word dictates all that we do as we come together to worship you. 
And so may our worship be marked by a focus upon our living Savior. And Father, may we together hear the words of Christ. May we together pray the words of Christ. May we sing of Christ. May you draw near to us in our gathering together as we seek to exalt your great name. Father, we're thankful for the word of God that directs us on how we ought to live. How shall a young man keep his way clean and pure? It's by taking heed to the word of God. How shall we know how we ought to live? Thy word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Father, we pray that we might be students of the Word, that we would be growing in the things of God as we study Your Word, that we might, Father, look into the perfect law of liberty and continue in it, being not forgetful hearers, but doers of that Word, for that man will be blessed in all that he does. And so we pray this morning, as Your Word goes forth, that the Spirit of God would come and minister unto us. We pray not only for ourselves, but we pray wherever the Word of God is being proclaimed this morning, that you might use it. You might use it to arrest sinners in their sin and cause them to flee to Jesus Christ. We pray that you might use it in the lives of believers to help us to live as we ought to live in this world. And where there is sin, that you might expose it, that we might be quick to confess and forsake it. And so, Father, we pray, especially this morning, that you would be with the Yulbergs as they labor there in Bolivia. We pray that you would watch over them. We thank you for the discipleship classes that are going on and pray that you would use those in the lives of those who profess faith in Christ to help them to grow in the things of God. We pray for their need of a building and ask that, Father, you would provide that so They would no longer, especially when winter comes, meet outside, but be able to have a place to meet in. We thank you for the family camps and the campground that you've given them and pray that that might be used for your glory and for your honor. We know that one of their concerns is that while they are able to minister to many children, yet they need more adults. And we pray, Father, that some of the parents would begin attending and that you might save them and that you would add them even to that church. So, Father, watch over them, care for them, we pray, during these days. Thank you that we can partner with them for the advancement of your kingdom. Now, Father, again, draw near to us. We pray that you might, Father, be pleased to come and do us good as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, take your hymns of grace and turn to 133, 133, all glory be to Christ, 133. Let's stand together as we sing.
Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And as you are turning there, I would simply relate to you of an event that took place about a month ago. We had a baptism here. And after that baptism, I received a phone call. And the young man on the other end of the line says, Pastor, can we talk sometime? To which I said, of course. And the young man went on to say that in light of what was said on the Lord's Day, I need to be baptized. What was said on the Lord's Day was, I don't remember the exact words, but it was something like this as we saw another enter the waters of baptism. I said that certainly a man can go to heaven without being baptized. No man is saved by entering the waters of baptism. It is an outward profession of faith, of an inward reality in the life of that individual. But I went on to say, however, that any professing Christian who is indifferent to baptism is living in rebellion to God. For God commands us to be baptized. And that struck a chord with this young man who professed faith in Christ but had never followed the Lord in baptism. And so as we gather together this morning, that young man wants to profess his faith in Christ to all of you publicly. What a delight. How thankful we are. As I was thinking about what to open up on this occasion, I was looking at various passages of Scripture and trying to pinpoint what would be a good message for us this morning. And I became somewhat frustrated as I tried to narrow down what we ought to consider this morning. And so I opened my computer and I pulled up Quentin's testimony. And as I read it, Tuesday afternoon again, and I trust most of you have already read his testimony, as I read through that, I said to myself, this is the text. For those of you who have not read it, Quentin says this, As every man, I was dead in my sin. I was living a life of rebellion, but through God's mercy, He showed me my sin, and I have repented of them. Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, is my Redeemer, John 3.16. I believe with all my heart in Jesus. I believe with all my heart in Jesus living a perfect life, His death on the cross, taking the punishment we deserve for our sins, and His resurrection. I wished to follow God's commandment and enter the waters of baptism. He goes on to say, I wish also to become a member of the Reformed Baptist Church of Linaway. And then he quotes Proverbs 16 and verse 9, but he also quotes Galatians chapter 1. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. 
Starting at verse 3, we read these words. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forevermore. Amen. When we read these words, we might think something like, this is just the normal way in which the Apostle Paul greeted the church as he wrote them letters. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 2, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 2, and in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 2, we read these words, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. The difference when we come to Galatians is not only does he make that statement, grace to you and peace from God our Father, but in Galatians, he, he expands upon that reality. He, he enlarges upon what that is saying. So this greeting ought to capture our attention. Because here, the Apostle Paul not only mentions grace and peace, but he sets before his hearers the truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ and His work on behalf of sinners. It is a gospel that we as believers need to remind ourselves every day. Jerry Bridges was known for saying that very thing. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And Jesus Christ is the very heart of that gospel. The, the person and work of Christ is the good news, is the gospel. And so this morning in our time together, as we look at these three verses, I would have you notice three things with me. First, the gifts of Christ's work. Secondly, the execution of Christ's work, and then thirdly, the conclusion to Christ's work. A fairly simple outline. The gifts, the execution, and the conclusion of Christ's work. Well, notice these things with me from the text. First of all, the gifts of Christ's work. This work of Christ on behalf of sinners provides two wonderful gifts. Gifts that are undeserving. The gift of grace and the gift of peace. You see, men are all sinners. Uh, the Bible makes it clear that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible also makes clear that the wages of sin is death. That there is this gulf 
between God and man. Sin has separated us from God. So, so how can a man ever be reconciled to a holy God? How can sinful creatures ever be declared righteous in the sight of a holy God? And at the end of the day, the answer is quite simply this. We can't. That There's nothing a man can do to make himself right with God. There are those who would teach us that it's by our good works that we can be made right with God. The Bible makes it clear. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. Others may say, I'll go to heaven, I'll be made right with God by keeping the law. I'll keep those ten words. But my friend, if you examine those ten words, they do not lead you to life. They lead you to death. They're a reminder that you're not living as you ought to live. That you have broken God's law. That you're not obeying them completely. You're not obeying them perfectly. And therefore, rightly deserve God's wrath. So the law of God saves no one. So what hope is there? By yourself, there is no hope. But God is a God of grace. And by God's grace, He came up with a plan whereby He would send His Son into the world. And His Son would live that perfect life. And by God's grace, His Son lived such a life and then took the punishment that we deserved upon Himself. He took the wrath that we deserved upon Himself. He did not do this because He saw something good about you. He did not do this because He thought you would be a benefit to His kingdom. And He looked at you. Isn't that how we operate? We see someone and we think to ourselves, you know... I think I could get something from that guy. I think I'll try to be his friend. And maybe I'll benefit from that friendship. That was not in God's mind. We were all sinners. Filthy. And there's nothing within us that would make him do something that would be beneficial for him. But by his grace... By His undeserved favor, God sent His Son into this world. For by grace are you saved. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 21 says, But now, apart from the works of the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified 
as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. Any man who is truly converted, who truly has been reconciled to God, all the glory goes to God. This is His doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. And none of us deserve it. But God, by His grace, delivers us from our sins and reconciles us to Himself through the righteousness of His Son. My friends, that's undeserving, but it's God's grace. And Paul says, there's grace. There's grace for you. If you will come to Christ. Grace. And then he says, secondly, here's the second gift. It's peace. It's peace. It's to be at peace. Not to be unsettled, but to be at peace with God. You see, the Word of God makes it clear that man in his natural state lives in hostility towards God. Romans 8 and verse 7. There's this hostility that exists between God and men. There is this deep-seated animosity that man has towards God. And the the thought of drawing near to this God is a, a frightful reality. How can we as sinners... Draw near to God. How can we have fellowship with Him? I mean, I look around this morning. I mean, we've got plenty of room, and I see spaces in between various individuals. But as far as I know, you're not sitting where you're sitting because your enemy's sitting farther away from you. You're not thinking to yourself, I don't want to go near that person. He's my enemy. There's no peace between us. But that's how it is with God. Left to yourself, there's no peace between you and God. Only hostility. But because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, man is declared righteous. The man of faith is declared righteous in the sight of God. And as a result, there's this reconciliation between God and man. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified, and that term justified is a legal term wherewith a man is declared innocent, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace which we stand. Uh, Here are two wonderful gifts that Christ's work demonstrates and provides. Grace and peace. If, If I were to ask you this question, do you know that you are right with God? Do you know that you've been reconciled with God? How would you answer? 
And if you would answer, yes, I do know that, then your answer has to be only because of God's grace through faith in His Son. And having known the grace of God, I now have peace with God. Grace comes first. Peace follows. If you're at peace, void of God's grace, then you know nothing of true salvation. And my prayer this morning for you is, is that you have no peace until you know the grace of God. Grace and peace. This morning, Quentin, God willing, will enter the waters of baptism. And in doing so, he is saying, I know of the grace of God. He's been so good to me. I was dead. That's what his test I was dead, and he gave me life. Not because I deserve life, but by his grace. And now I'm at peace with God. A peace that passes all understanding. And how we rejoice in that. So that there then is the gifts of Christ's work. But now then, notice as well in our text, the execution of Christ's work. The execution of Christ's work. Notice verse 4. The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now as we think of the execution, as, as we think about what it cost, what did the grace of God cost, what does peace with God cost? Well, the answer is Christ gave His very self. And as we consider that statement, there are three things I want you to notice with me. First, it shows His willingness. His willingness to go to the cross. It says, who gave Himself. He was willing to do this work. The, the, the crucifixion was a voluntary, voluntary self-sacrifice. Christ gave the most precious gift He could. He gave Himself. We read there in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, He gave Himself. We read it again in Titus 2 and verse 14. He gave Himself for us in John chapter 10 verses 17 and 18 no one took Christ's life away from him he freely gave it away i lay down my life jesus said that i may take it up again no one takes it from me but i lay it down of my own accord 
And we even hear this reality of the willingness of Christ as He hung there on the cross. There in Matthew chapter 27 in verse 50, we read these words, He yielded up His Spirit. He died voluntarily. He took the wrath voluntarily. You might remember when, when the disciples in Christ were on their way to Jerusalem and they, they know what's ahead of them. And we read in that, that passage of Scripture that, that Christ set Himself like flint. He, he was determined to go to Jerusalem to give His life a ransom for many. He gave his life freely. So we see the willingness of Jesus to do this work. Secondly, we see in this verse the reason for this work of Christ. The reason he gave himself, notice what it says. It doesn't say he gave himself to be an example of sacrificial love. It's not what he says doesn't say he gave himself in order to, to simply have a memorial dedicated to him. And we've got memorials all over the place of people who gave their lives for various causes and various reasons. Go to Washington, D.C. They're all over the place. People who gave themselves. But, but notice what we read here. He gave himself for our sins. For our sins. The tra transaction took place on the cross. We were the ones who deserved to die because we owed God an infinite debt for our sins. We were guilty before God. But Christ took our place on the cross. He became our substitute. He was our sin offering. He, he as it were, gathered up all the sins of His people and he, and he put them on His shoulders and He paid for them with His death. He took our place. And so the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was not merely an example of supreme sacrifice, but it was actually an atonement for sin. It was the means by which God could forgive us and still be a just God. God could forgive sin and declare us righteous and still be a just God. If He simply winked at our sins, He would not be a just God if He forgave us. If He simply says, I'm just going to bypass, because you're not as bad as other people. I mean, I, there are some wicked people in this world, and, and you're not one of them. Compared to others, you're, you're doing much better. Therefore, I'm going to forgive you he would be unjust. We all deserve the wrath of God. When someone says to me, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? The answer is, my friend, 
It's not that God sent anyone to hell. Your sin and your rebellion sends you to hell. It's only by the love and grace of God that you've been rescued out of that. It's only because Christ died in your place that God can forgive you of your sin because someone paid the debt that you owed. And now you can be declared righteous before a holy God because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. There's the reason He died for our sins. And thirdly, here in this verse we see the result. The result of the work of Christ. He delivered us from this present evil age. He delivered us from this present evil age. This is the same term that Peter used to describe how God delivered him from prison there in Acts chapter 12. It's the same thought of Stephen as he stood before the Sanhedrin and described the deliverance of Joseph. And, and he went on later in that same, in, in Acts chapter 7, to describe the deliverance of the children of Egypt out of bondage, that they were lifted from one place to another. And here we're told when a man comes to faith in Christ, he's delivered out of this present evil age. What's that mean? What's, does that mean we're immediately transported to heaven when, when we come to Christ? What, what does it mean when it says we're delivered out of this present evil age? Well, here, I think there are several things that we can note. First of all, the believer has been delivered from the curse which this age is under. Remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden and, and God said to them, you shall not eat of this tree. The moment you eat of this tree, you will surely die. There will be this separation between you and God. You've enjoyed the communion with God. But if you disobey and eat of this tree, the moment you eat, he pronounces this, you will die. And in Romans chapter 5, we read these words, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spreads to all men. This world is under a curse. Now, as we mentioned last week when we were looking at Deuteronomy 11, a curse is not some magic portion that is thrown upon you and you, you turn into a frog or whatever else that curse. You know, you get a big wart on your nose. You, you know, somebody puts a curse on you and you get a big wart that comes on your nose. That's not a curse in biblical terminology. A, a curse in the Bible is that of being exiled, being cut off from God. Remember last week there in Deuteronomy 11, I will bless you if you obey you will know of my presence and my help. You will enjoy your communion with me. Or I will curse you if you disobey. Which simply means there will be no more enjoyment. I, I will not let my presence be known. You'll live in exile separated from me. Well, every man born in sin lives under that curse. We all deserve to die. But for the believer, that curse has been removed. There's now life eternal in Christ Jesus. 
So when he says, I'll deliver you from this present evil world or age, I believe that one of the ideas, it delivers us from the curse of this age. Secondly, the believer has been delivered from the influence of this age. The influence of this age. We are no longer influenced by the standards of this world. We're now influenced by the work of the Spirit through the Word of God. This is how I ought to live. At one time, sin wasn't a big deal. If it made me feel good, then I enjoyed it. But coming to faith in Christ, that's not my thinking any longer. Now I realize that my sin is offense to Almighty God, and I must be quick to confess and forsake it. At one time, heaven and hell was just a joke. The only thing I knew about hell was what men would joke around about. Everybody's going there. We, we made light of it, but I realize hell is a real reality now. I realize that hell is being... Uh, expelled from the presence of Almighty God. At one time, I lived for myself. At one time, my life was all about me and what was important to me and what I got out of things. But now that's changed. I, I want to deny myself and, and I want to live to the glory of another. There, there's been a change with regard to the influence. I, I was delighted. I mean, it was... It was even on a Monday. I get a phone call. Pastor, I, 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 can we talk? And I, and I think Quentin can tell you differently. I didn't say, Quentin, do you know it's Monday? Come on, man. It's my day off. No, but here was a young man who, who began to think, what does God want me to do? I must obey Him. I can't be indifferent to this act. What a delight. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The believer has been delivered from the influence of this age. Thirdly, the believer is delivered from the destiny of this age. From the destiny of this age. This present evil age is scheduled for destruction. For destruction. John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, the world passes away and the lust thereof. 2 Peter chapter 3 describes for us, I didn't write it down, just let me read it to you quickly. 2 Peter chapter 3, we get a description of what will happen at the end of this world. I'm sorry. Yeah, 2 Peter chapter 3. We read, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. It, it's doomed for destruction. There's coming a day when this world as we now know it will be brought to an end. However, thankfully, the believer is not scheduled for destruction. The world passes away in the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Forever. We are not scheduled for the same destiny as this present evil world. And then fourthly, the believer is delivered from the wrath of God. 
that will come on this present evil age. We, we don't like to talk about the, love, the wrath of God. We would far rather talk about the love of God. But my friends, the wrath of God is real. And it's a frightful thing. To think about standing under the wrath of Almighty God is, is a terribly frightful thing. It, it will be so frightful that on that day, men will cry out for the rocks and the mountains to fall upon them. Can you imagine being so terrified of experiencing the wrath of Almighty God that you would rather be crushed by boulders falling from a mountain? And yet, that's what we read. That's a reality. That's a reality. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 says that Christ will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will deal out retribution. His wrath will come. But blessed be God, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So the result of the work of Christ is that they are delivered from the wrath of God. So here in this text, we see the willingness of Christ to do the work. We see the reason for Christ to do the work. We see the results of the work of Christ. But one other thing I'd have you notice with me, the origin of this work. The origin of this work. Notice what it says. Look at our text. It says, according to the will of God. He gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. The execution of Jesus of Nazareth was not an unforeseen tragedy. Did you hear me? It was not an unforeseen tragedy. God was not up in heaven saying, What are they doing to my son? This is my one and only son. What in the world's going on? It wasn't a mere accident in history. It was part of God's plan for the salvation of sinners. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter said as much when he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hand of lawless men. Peter says to them, this was a definite plan of God. This was God's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the Gospel. This is the Gospel. So we see the gifts of Christ's work, the execution of Christ's work, but then thirdly and finally, notice with me the conclusion of Christ's work. The conclusion And here we read, to whom be the glory forevermore. To whom be the glory forevermore. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. As as we look at the cross, and as we remember what Christ accomplished in going to the cross, how our hearts should swell up with praise to Almighty God for the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, God forbid that I should boast in anything except 
the cross of Jesus Christ. We should thank Him. We should rejoice in Him. We should praise Him. We should preach the cross to ourselves every single day. Because now, many years later, the only hope that I have of being reconciled to God is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's my only hope. Many years later, it doesn't change. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 10, the saints in heaven will sing, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're singing about the Lamb and His sacrifice. And I hate to share this with you because when I first thought about it and was told about it, it sort of, oh no. You know that one, that hymn, The Old Rugged Cross? That's a lovely hymn. And I've been in many nursing homes and sung The Old Rugged Cross many times. Here's the only problem. In that hymn it says, Someday we'll exchange the cross for a crown. I don't believe in heaven we'll ever get over the cross. I don't think in heaven we'll exchange it. It is still my only hope. The cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I understand what the hymn writer was trying to get across there. And I can appreciate that. It's just now every time I sing it, now I've ruined it for you. Every time you sing it, you're thinking, Exchange it someday for a crown. No, I need the cross. The cross is my hope. So if somebody could come up with a catchy little phrase there at the end, uh, maybe I'll pick it to sing sometime. But uh, I, yeah, the cross. We glory in the cross. And I believe in heaven we'll be singing about the Lamb and the sacrifice of the Lamb on our behalf forever and ever. And so this morning... We have the privilege of seeing Quentin Perry profess these wonderful things. The work of Christ in his life on the cross. His forgiveness of sin. The peace that he has with God. His desire to be obedient to God. Not to live in rebellion towards God. But to do what God's commanded him to do. And we rejoice in that. And let me say this. Just let me make it clear. You may say, Pastor, that's not necessary. We know that. We've heard it before. But my dear friends, going into the water does not make Quentin's salvation better. Christ is all he needs. He's doing this in, in obedience to Christ as a profession of his faith, as his union to Christ through Christ's death burial, and resurrection. And we rejoice in that reality. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know this Christ. I'm here to offer Him to you. He stands ready to save any one of you who will come to Him in repentance and faith. It's a wonderful gift that I hold out to you this morning. You too can know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian 20 years. 
And, and what you just preached is so simple. I mean, we, that's the ABCs. And, and wow, I was hoping you would have some profound new thought for us this morning. And you just simply put Christ before us. I mean, did you have a busy week? You couldn't come up with something better? My friends, there's nothing better I can share with you than Jesus Christ. And if that still doesn't thrill your heart, why? Why? It ought to. Every day, this reality should thrill us. May God help us. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. And pray that you would be pleased to open some eyes this morning who perhaps have not been opened to the gospel. May they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that those of us who have known you, that we just rejoice all the more in this great salvation that we have in Christ. Thank you for Quentin and for his desire to now make his profession public. We pray your blessing upon him. We pray that he would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So meet with us as we conclude this service, even with Quentin's baptism. As we ask these things in Christ's name, amen. Well, if you will, take your hymn books, turning to hymns, the Trinity hymn books, 731. 731, and can it be that I should gain an entrance in the Savior's blood. Amazing love. How can it be? 713 in your Trinity hymn books. Let's stand together as we sing.
can be seated. One of the things I mentioned last Lord's Day was some of the challenges that come with long-term ministry. And I mentioned a couple different things. There are some great blessings that also come with long-term ministry. And certainly today, I'm a recipient of one of those blessings. Or I think I was visiting Quentin when he was like a day or two days old in the hospital, praying with him and his family. He doesn't remember that visit for some reason, but that's when it all started with our relationship together. And now to see him grow up, to become this young man who desires to follow the Lord's will and word, and what a delight that is to be a part of that. And you as a church family have been a part of his life all that time as well, and we give thanks to God for that. So, Quentin, let me ask you, are you trusting in Christ alone for your hope of salvation? Yes. And do you know that your sins are forgiven because Christ took the punishment that you deserved on the cross? then it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. How thankful we are for God. Let us pray and ask God's blessing upon Quentin and his life. Uh, Brother Dale Miller, would you lead us in that prayer, just praying for Quentin? Amen. Well, as as I read Quentin's testimony to you, many of you have already read it, but he said, not only do I want to be baptized, but I want to be committed to this assembly, to this church. So God willing, this afternoon, we'll bring him into membership officially as we gather around the Lord's table. Well, we rejoice. What a good day. What a wonderful God. What a great salvation. And may we see this baptistry used more and more in days to come to the glory of our God. You are dismissed.